Lynch and welcome to the show. Today we have a feature interview with the CEO and founder of Hawaii, Remy Galasso. He'll be talking about the Hawaii New Cable, which he announced this week, an amazing proposed system that will connect Indonesia, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand and the United States. More on that later. But first up, the executive editor of Comms Day, Rowan Pierce. Welcome, Rowan. Hello, how's it going? Oh, very good. Oh, very good. Now, um, you wrote up a very big story that I think might be sort of a, a, a story that has some resonance going forward. One of those big moments where a market changed. And that was Telstra going to market with a 5G home internet service at a very keen price point. Tell us all about it. I, you, you, you did suggest that I use the word inflection, I think. So, yeah, obviously we know Telstra has been testing their kind of 5G home broadband product for a number of months now, but they've formally launched it with a price point that I imagine is causing probably a bit of angst at NBN Co. So they're offering a single product, um, and they're targeting both families and small businesses for $85 a month with a one terabyte download limit. So compare that to its NBN 50 plan, which is like $95 a month. So then on, on top of that, Telstra is also talking about, you know, um, typical speeds of like 378 megabits per second um, versus obviously like NBN 50. So it's kind of, you, you've got this situation where you can imagine someone going to a Telstra store and assuming they're in a coverage area, they're going to be asked, do you want something more expensive and slower or something that's cheaper and probably faster, depending on where you are, obviously in relation to a tower and that kind of thing. So I think... Um, yeah, it's going to get quite interesting now. Like all three MNOs have launched their um, 5G broadband products in the market now. Um, and they had this situation where, where NBN's biggest biggest RSP, I mean, they still have what, like at a wholesale level, 45% share of the market has basically launched a product that undercuts their own kind of like, you know, um, mainstream NBN product. I, I guess there are still question marks about it, you know, like, like coverage and how quickly they can scale it up and that kind of thing. But it's, it's free. It's interesting times. And of course, if um, Tilstra gets some traction with their Softus and TPG, presumably will respond with keener price points, perhaps more investment in marketing and so on. And suddenly you have a real um, sort of competitive uh, market. I, I mean, yeah, like one thing is, I mean, already TPG, like obviously they have the Vodafone, um, the Vodafone product, but then they they launched um, 5G broadband through TPG as well, which had a very compelling price product, even by like, you know, price point, even by TPG's kind of like uh, uh, already pretty cheap MVM plan. So it's kind of, it's it's like, you know, is is this going to be a real thing? Like, can they actually pull enough customers onto their 5G networks to make NBN worry? Yeah, so uh, it'd be interesting to see how... how um how this manifests down the track in terms of the market. I mean, there's a couple of obvious implications for this. One is that it puts a lot of pressure on NBN to find the right price points for its products, particularly with spending billions of dollars in uh, on fiber upgrades. It needs to make that work. Second thing is that NBN's regulated kind of as a monopoly right now. And there's some question marks around whether you can say they're a monopoly with intense 5G competition. And the third interesting thing is you've also got all these Leosats coming in the bush. Now, the places where 5G won't be, Starlink will be. So that all makes for a very 
interesting competitive landscape in the future. Starlink or, or one of the 50 million other kind of LeoSat constellations are getting rolled out at the moment. <laughs> Indeed, we, we, we covered one the other day, didn't we, with that proposed, uh, was it 300,000 satellites or something? Is that all? <laughs> Is that all, yeah. Okay, well, moving on. Um, moving on, the, a, piece, a seemingly innocuous piece of legislation designed to deal with the sort of the dotting the I's and crossing the T's of... Um, keeping regulatory obligations on Telstra as it's spinning out infrastructure units is, is seems to be manifesting in some uh, more controversial ways. <laughs> Tell us all about it. Yeah, so as you said, this is about like, I mean, the, the main part of the bill in some ways is ensuring that, you know, after Telstra goes through its, it, with its restructure, it's going to retain all the kind of regulatory obligations it has now and they'll be pointed at different parts of Telstra, the Telstra group and that kind of thing. But yeah, one, one interesting aspect that... Um, I guess Telstra has been complaining about to the government is um, relates to I guess the the ownership caps that Telstra has at the moment. So at the moment, it's got like a thirty five percent max foreign ownership for Telstra as a whole, and five percent for each kind of foreign person. Um, and Telstra has basically said to the government, "Well, we think this this regime should apply to the kind of ASX listed holding company, um, the Telstra Group holding company, but it makes less sense for some of the you know the entities." So you know, companies like Amplitel or Infraco, and they, they should be subject to the kind of more flexible regime that governs, I guess, like Optus and TPG, for example. So um, they've said that um, basically this this could be a barrier potentially to getting foreign investment, which it, I mean, it literally is. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do suspect that there's going to be um, not that much appetite from the government to accommodate them, to be honest. I mean, that's, that would be my guess anyway. And, and another um, player in the space, BAI Communications, are concerned that they're going to get captured by regulation for the first time. Yeah, this this was a little interesting one. I mean, BIA has said that they don't think this is a government's intention. What it is is like BAI traditionally in Australia has operated like um, broadcast transmission towers, but elsewhere overseas they have run kind of neutral host services, and they have you know explicitly said they want to bring this to Australia, and in preparation for doing that they've got a carrier license. But what that means, because of the way the government's drafted the legislation, if you have a, a entity with a carrier license in your group, it means then the kind of facilities access obligations will apply to your towers. And BAA has said that they don't think that this, this facilities access regime should apply to their towers. Um, and also that it doesn't really make sense because obviously they're not, the way they put it is they're not competing with the mobile network operators, so they don't really have any incentive to lock them out from their towers anyway. Okay, well, thanks for that wrap-up. See you next week, Rowan. See ya. Now, Hawaii plans an ambitious 22,000-kilometer submarine cable system that will directly connect Singapore, Jakarta, Darwin, Eastern Australia, the South Island of New Zealand, Hawaii and Los Angeles. The cable will not only provide international capacity, but create new intercap capacity between Melbourne, Sydney, the Gold Coast, and Darwin. This new cable, the Hawaii Nui cable, as it's called, will span 10 time zones and support a design capacity of 240 terabits. To put that in some perspective, it's about 10 times the peak demand for the NBN in Australia on a busy weekday evening. Construction is due to start next year, 
with an expected cable ready for service date of 2025. I spoke with Remy Galasso, the CEO of Huayki, this week. Uh, five countries, uh, without counting Pacific Islands, uh, that could you know, come later, we'll see. But five countries, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, USA, 12 landings. Yeah. Uh, four landings in Australia. And three landings in New Zealand. But I wish I should say it's so landing an international cable to Indonesia is one thing. Having backhaul, domestic backhaul is another thing. And the market requires a solution for both. So Moratelindo, I think they run about fifty thousand kilometers of terrestrial and submarine backhaul. Network in Indonesia, it's unbelievable. And they do also have data centers in Indonesia. So uh, they operate on a carrier neutral basis. We operate on a carrier neutral basis. So we believe it's the perfect fit. And the idea is again to simplify our customer life by proposing end to end solution, international link, domestic link. So it's the perfect partner, plus, uh, as you know, in Indonesia, we need a landing party, a local landing party. So uh, um, Maratilindo is going to help us with the permitting in Indonesia, and, and this is fabulous. So, yeah, as we're very happy, and, uh, and we're, we had this press conference this afternoon in Indonesia. It was very important for me to announce the project with Maratilindo in Indonesia first, you know. Mm, okay. Now, um, from an Australian point of view, what, what's exciting about this is that you, this cable system will then land in Darwin and then c- come around the Cape York Peninsula and um, down to Sydney, uh, Brisbane and Melbourne. And you're not just selling international connectivity, but you're creating intercap capacity for Australia as well. And that provides a, a, an interesting new competitive option for people in Australia. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Australia, as you know, is a very strategic country for our company. Our first cable, Awaiki, uh, landed three years ago in Fuji Beach, uh, connecting Australia to USA. Uh, I'm happy to say that Hawaii, the existing Awaiki cable is probably today the largest link connecting Australia to the rest of the world. I'm talking about elite capacity. Uh, so I think the volume of capacity that we have already lit on Hawaii cable is probably making us the number one in terms of terabit. So uh, this one, Hawaii Nui, uh, very ambitious, uh, four, four landings. Uh, it will be, if I start from the south, it will be the first landing in Melbourne. And I'm so proud about this one. I mean, it's, if you look at it, it's quite unbelievable. It's incredible, a 5 million population city without a sub-cable. 5 million people, data centers everywhere, and no, no international cable. Uh, well, something wrong. So we're very happy to be the first one. And by connecting Melbourne to Sydney, it, we will also have direct connection from Melbourne to USA. And actually also from Melbourne to New Zealand. So it's really two routes that we are offering to Melbourne. It's, it's 
very happy about that. Sydney, uh, actually, it's not mentioned in, in, in the, in, in, on the map, but I can share with you an information is that we're going to have two landings. We're going to have one in Kuji Beach, which is similar to Awaki, and we're going to have another landing in the Northern Corridor. So that basically the trunk coming from in, uh, New Zealand uh, to Melbourne and Sydney will land in the south. And Awaki, the rest of the, the cable coming from uh, from Singapore and uh, from USA will land in both. Okay, so it's very important because the market was, I mean, some customers ask us to land in the south or to land in the north. This is just because of their choice in terms of data centers. So we said, okay, we're going to do both. Plus, we bring diversity again. Awaki existing landing in the north, in the south, sorry, Awaki landing in the north. So it's a perfect redundant um, uh, solution for, 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 for the market. Uh, then Queensland. So for communication purpose, we mentioned Brisbane, but actually it's going to be Gold Coast. Okay, so again, uh, it will be the first subsea cable in Gold Coast. There's already one on Sunshine Coast, so this one will be in Brisbane, in Gold Coast. And we will offer international capacity, but also domestic. So basically, Aweki Nui is also a domestic solution to go from Melbourne to Sydney to Gold Coast to Darwin. And I finish by Darwin, which obviously is becoming a super strategic location. So um, the beauty here is that our branch to, to Darwin will allow direct capacity to USA and to Singapore. I mentioned in Indonesia the combination of terrestrial backhaul and, 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 and international connectivity. I can do exactly the same. Uh, terrestrial backhaul in Australia, domestic backhaul, very strategic. There's been a new project announced you know, to, to build new fiber backhaul uh, in, in Australia, which is fantastic. And if we use terrestrial fiber, existing fiber from Darwin to Sydney, plus a waking away from Darwin to Singapore, it's definitely the shortest path between Singapore and Sydney. So at, at the moment we don't, but there is, we, we're not gonna build, but there is existing providers, and the idea is really to partner with one of them. Okay. Okay. So that we have the shortest path between Sydney and Singapore using terrestrial and then submarine. Okay. Um, okay. Now, the South Island of New Zealand, the first time <laughs> an international cable has landed there as well. Um, you're creating um, new routes. Um, to America um, to and Australia, America but also Australia, potentially, also potentially South, America. South America. Yeah, it's a combination of, uh, of a few things. Um, first of all, uh, if we look at the connect international connectivity of the country, uh, all cables, all of them are landing in the north right now, including Awaki cable. So there is a, a, an issue, there is a problem of redundancy. And I think it's very important to have a cable landing in the south, which will be completely diverse to all the cables in the north. So Awaki Nui will bring security to New Zealand. That's number one. Then Awaki Nui will be the shortest path between Australia and New Zealand, because uh, the shortest 
the shorter distance between the two cities, I mean Sydney and Invercargill, is shorter than any other city. It's the shortest link. The distance between Invercargill and Sydney, if you look on Google Earth, is the shortest one. Uh, number three, uh, Christchurch, Dunedin are booming. Uh, fantastic universities, lots of requests in terms of research. Uh, so they really deserve a direct international connectivity to the rest of the world. Uh, so we're very proud to, 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 to be able to connect Christchurch and the Navy. And final thing is, uh, in the Cargill, as you know, we have a separate project which is called Data Grid. So we are building uh, the first carbon neutral hyperscale data center in New Zealand in Invercargill. And this, uh, this Awakinui connectivity is mandatory. So it's gonna be, a, it's, gonna, it's gonna allow us to really access, uh, you know, the Australian market with data grid. You're correct. Uh, with, with this cable, um, you know, potentially the next step will be the connection to South America. So, so in a sense, you're coming closer than anyone else has to creating what some people have described as the great southern route that connects the Americas to Southeast Asia through Australia and New Zealand and bypasses East Asia. Is, is that what you have in mind here? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you're right. I mean, this, is, uh, this is something, I mean, someone will build it at some stage. So, uh, you know, we're trying to be the one, but it, it makes a lot of sense to interconnect those countries in the southern hemisphere, uh, we see a massive development of a few hubs. So Singapore is going to be even bigger than today. Singapore is going to be a massive regional hub, maybe maybe the largest hub in the world one day. You know, so Singapore is un- unbelievable. Sydney and Melbourne will grow. We know that. Uh, we have a lot of hope for uh, for New Zealand, but Valparaiso is also growing fast. So Chile, uh, they've got lots of uh, renewable energy. They have access. I mean, they have a pretty cool climate, especially in the south. So it's perfect for data centers. And uh, it's it's kind kind of similar situation than southern New Zealand, if, if I may say. Mm. So it makes a lot of sense. And yes, um, as you know, um, Singapore, um, Australia, New Zealand, and, and and Chile, they do have some agreement between them and. They really need a route to interconnect the four countries plus Indonesia. So yes, it makes sense, but you know, step by step. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there a possibility that you might hang some branching units or various legs of the cable to service um, additional destinations? Should there be local operators who, who want to do that? So, similar to um, what RTI did with the Sunshine Coast. I think that we could, we may, we will maybe have additional branching unit on Awakinui for Pacific Islands, but uh, it's too early to say because we have we haven't engaged yet. But from my opinion, I mean, it's really a personal opinion. I, I think it would make sense to have a branch to Port Moresby. Yeah. And our cable is so close to PNG, uh, so that you know, I, I think it could make sense. Now, as you see, we, we, we're crossing basically. Uh, uh, Solomon Island, Vanuatu. So we'll see, but yes, if we can help uh, the, the island, we will do. We will we will discuss with them and, and potentially have branching units. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now you've got the new owner in Singapore, um, and that's still um, not completely 
finish it? Is it that process for the acquisition? But uh, are they financing all of this or will you have to go and get additional financing to make this work? Okay, so um, for, about BW Group, we, we are still in the process of, mm. uh, of getting the, um, the um, what we call FCC approval, you know, the, the, the approval from uh, USA, Australia, New Zealand. So we expect to have uh, those approval uh, in early Q2 next year. Uh, but uh, anyway, you know, so uh, we, we, the, the, the project is obviously approved by the existing shareholders and by the new one. Uh, and and but anyway, we will need to sign uh, what we call pre-sales uh, in order to fund the project. So obviously, we've been very active with uh, with some anchor customers uh, that will certainly join uh, Awakening Nui. So the reason of this announcement is that we believe that there is enough appetite uh, from the market for the project. Okay. Okay, um, and I wanted to also talk about Darwin um, in, as a particular destination. Um, there's been an awful lot of interest in the Darwin market. Um, Next DC announced a hyperscale data center that they're going to build there. Um, you've, you've got some other cables that are talking about landing there. You, you seem to, seems that you've beaten everyone to the punch here. <laughs> you, that's a fully formed international system landing in Darwin. And... Do you see that as an important market in the, in the, in the long-term sense? Because obviously Northern Australia is a big development focus here for our economy. Super important market. Uh, now, yes, we, we're not the only one with this idea, but I would say that the other one are having a, a different view and they think a connection from Darwin to Singapore is good enough. And actually, I don't think so. I think we should have both connectivity to Singapore and USA. And I, I believe we are the only one proposing this solution for Darwin. Um, and it's a, it's a detail, but I think you, you're going to like it. The, our design uh, uh, is made so that the branch to Darwin uh, will always be in the Australian waters. Oh, okay. How does that work? So basically the branch, the branch from Darwin to the BU to USA yeah. uh, will be... Uh, so, so it connects to the main cable within Australian territory. Uh, okay, okay, that makes that, that, That's very interesting. Okay, now, I, I had, a, I had a, um, a question about the technology that you're using and specifically spatial division multiplexing, which um, seems to be a relatively new concept for submarine cables. I've heard about it in the wireless world. What's the advantage of using uh, spatial division multiplexing for a subcable as opposed to, say, WDM or the other protocols? Well, it's a new technology, but not as so new because it's been already, uh, you know, implemented uh, in the Atlantic region and also in some other region of the world. And, and well, the main advantage is to have uh, more fiber pairs. Uh, so on this. This distance, you know, we can we can have really more fiber pairs on the system, and it, we will be the first SDM cable connecting Australia and New Zealand. And we have not defined defined the number the final number of fiber pairs yet, but I won't be surprised that we go up to 16 fiber pairs on this project. So it's obviously if you have you know this kind of fiber pairs, you you, you can make much more competitive uh, because the, the you know the cost per 
per, per terabit is, is really going down. So at, at this stage, we are we could even have more fiber pairs, but we, we think we will go with 16 and uh, capacity of 240 terabit. So yeah, I mean, th that's, that's the SDN technology, and we're very happy that we will be the first to use this technology in Australia. Okay, first in Australia, but not first in the world. Okay. Just, no, not first in the world. Yeah, just wanted to make that clear. Um, overall, what market demand is being met by this cable, which won't be met by existing systems? Well, as you can see on the map, this cable is a kind of two-in-one project. So basically, it's a Singapore to US, and it's a uh, Australian New Zealand to US. So... Uh, we, by combining the two routes, obviously we will be more cost-effective, and 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 we really answer the demand of the market of the big players requiring both. We, people are asking for more capacity from Singapore to USA, because Singapore is going to grow so fast, and uh, and again Singapore is going to be the largest hub in in in, 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 in Southeast Asia, that's for sure. And but Sydney is also uh, Sydney and Melbourne also growing very fast. So it's the, the 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 demand is 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 driven by the cloud. The demand is driving by the content providers. They need more data centers. They're building more data centers. I mean, look at the investment in Australia. It's just unbelievable in the past three years. But those data centers, at some point, need to be interconnected. So this is the reason why we we. We are about building our Kinui is just to insert the demand. There's not enough capacity between Australia and USA. There's not enough capacity between Singapore and USA, and there's not enough capacity between Singapore and Australia. Okay. Um, do you have a, a an estimate yet of system cost, and have you uh, selected a supplier for the system? Okay. So we, we launched a tender already, uh, and uh, we have received uh, the offers from the suppliers. But right now we are into a negotiation stage, so I, I, I really don't want to mention any, any, any numbers, it's too early, but what I can tell you is that we expect to announce a selection of our supplier by end of Q1 next year. So let's say March is the target. And you're hoping to get the cable into market by 2025, is that correct? That's the plan, that's the yeah. target. Uh, uh, we know it's going to be a challenge. It's a long system, um, but we believe it's achievable. Uh, so the team is working full speed ahead on the permitting side in Singapore, in Indonesia, in Australia, New Zealand, in USA. So there's, there's, there's a lot of work to do, but uh, we believe it's achievable. Yeah, It's really a question of permitting. A, a few years ago, you expressed some interest in Hong Kong as a, as a market to, to service. That, that seems to have gone a bit on the back burner now. Um, are there any ambitions in other parts of Asia going forward, apart from Singapore and Jakarta? Well, you know, uh, when we lay those kind of uh, sub cable, the, 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 first of all, sub cables are big investments uh, uh, that, you know, the life duration is 25, 30 years old. So uh, it, it's, it's good to have visibility uh, and, and to be honest with you, you know, um, yes, I announced a project to, to Hong Kong, and, and I had from Sydney to Hong Kong, and, and I have to adapt to uh, to the current situation in the world and change the route. So uh, we have to adapt. You know, if there is if, our, if there is no customer demand, we're not going to build a, a cable. So uh, we believe this is the right 
route. Um, this will keep us busy for, for, I believe, a couple of years at least. But, and then we'll see that the, you know, the world is always uh, you know, progressing, developing, new routes will, will, will happen. Uh, you mentioned South America. We know on the other side of the planet, India is booming. Uh, they will need so much more cable in the future. And again, I, I see a bright future uh, for the uh, Singaporean pop uh, and, and the Sydney pop. So Sydney and Singapore really are going are becoming massive in the coming years. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time. Just beat it. I keep waiting for the outro music. <laughs> uh-huh.